pray together. Oh Lord, some of us have known you all of our lives. We've never known a day when we didn't know you. Others of us could confess that there was a time when we despised your word, when we took no pleasure in it, when we did not want to listen to the voice of God. Lord, I pray that today, that as we gather together, we would all delight to hear your voice, that it would resound within us with great power and joy, that it would order our lives for our good and for the glory of your name. And so we pray that as we study the fourth commandment here now, that you would bless us and through it that we might bless other people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're up to the fourth commandment in our studies of the Ten Commandments. You'll find that in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, which is on page 61 of the Pew Bible. God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I had a football coach who decided that Monday was the day for running. It was the day for running, in part for conditioning's sake, but also in part for punishment for how poorly we would have played in the game before. And we would start running and running sprints after sprint after sprint. And just as you thought, surely it's going to let up, we're going to stop now, he would say, line up again. We would continue and run and run. Just when you thought you were done, you weren't. And the effect was that mentally, it was very oppressive because you kept being teased into thinking, this will be it, this will be it, I'll have rest next. And rest never came. Work without a break is oppressive. Work with no rest is oppressive, and yet that's not the God that we serve, is it? You might recall that the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, and they served there for hundreds of years as slaves, 365 days a year, never getting a day off. Can you imagine never getting a day off? Every day, the taskmaster would wake you up, and the whip would crack, and you must be about your business, never having a break, never seeing light at the end of the tunnel. And that's not the way God intended for us to live. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, when God is reiterating the Ten Commandments that He gives to His people, He reminds them, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In other words, what God did in bringing His people out of Egypt, out of slavery, in part was to bring them into the freedom of rest. The joy of rest. That they might literally have a day off every single week that would be a holy day to Him set aside for worship and rest. 
In other words, we are to follow the same pattern of life that God has established. Because what He tells us in the commandment is that it's rooted in creation. For six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's pattern of life. It's what He has established. And He says, now I'm inviting you into that same pattern. Therefore, He says in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day. They are to remember it. Now back in Exodus chapter 16, as they've come out of Egypt through the wilderness, God had set up a pattern of six days of work and one day of rest when they were to go out and collect the manna given to them for six days, but not on the seventh day. And he's saying, look, I've already established this pattern. Remember it. But it goes further back than Exodus 16. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And he's saying, remember creation. Remember my life. Remember what I've done in creating the entire universe. I've worked for six days and then I rested. So God established this pattern for us. And it's the very pattern of life that he wants us to live. It's a pattern that's good. It's a pattern that is sustainable. Working seven days a week, 365 days a year, is not a pattern that is sustainable. And so we're to remember it by keeping it holy, keeping it set apart, making it unique and special. How are we to do that? First thing is this, the enjoyment of work. The enjoyment of work. Interesting what God begins with here is the command to work. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Now it's important to understand that the command to work does not come as a result of the fall. It's not part of the curse that's put on creation. Back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, before Adam and Eve fell in sin, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is what we are created to do. We are created to work and we're created to find satisfaction in work. Imagine that what would the world be like if God never commanded us to work? Now it sounds great at first, doesn't it? But you've just had gone through a week of snow. What happens after a couple of days of being cooped up inside? You're not doing anything. You want to get back to work. You want to be productive. You want to be engaged in the world. You don't want to be miserable just sitting around doing nothing. Why? Because we're made for work. We know instinctively that we're created for it. We can definitely be lazy. Work can be hard and difficult. But the reality is, without work, we feel lost. Without work, we feel purposeless. Without work, we don't know what we're supposed to do in the world. Work is what we're created for. God is a working God, and He calls us into that same work. It gives us satisfaction. We produce something. We create something. We organize something. We develop something. It gives us pleasure. We find purpose in it. We find joy in it. We find satisfaction in our labors. If you just think about the things that you enjoy doing. What do you love to do? That thing that you just can't put down when you know there's other things you're supposed to be doing, but this thing you just kind of keep doing. Why? Because God's made you for it. 
You love it. He's put within you this joy and desire for it. In fact, the book of Ecclesiastes says that he gives us the, the ability to rejoice in our toil or in our labors for him. And so we're made in God's image to work as he has worked, to delight in our labors as he is delighted in them. At the end of chapter one of Genesis, God saw everything that he had made and behold, he says, it's very good. He loved it. And we are to love our work as well. Now the fall, as I said, is not made for work. In other words, that's not the reason that we work. But it does make it more difficult. If we read back in Genesis chapter 3, we learn a little bit about this. The curse that God put upon creation. We're told in Genesis chapter 3 verse 17. God said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So two things we get from this. One, work isn't cursed. The ground is cursed. The ground doesn't produce fruit as it should, as God created and intended for it to. In other words, creation is sort of like a diseased fruit tree it still bears fruit but the fruit isn't sweet as it could be it isn't as beautiful and luscious as it could be and so work isn't cursed the ground is cursed it may still produce a crop but it's not the kind of crop that God intended the second thing is work still produces a return verse 19 of it he goes on to say by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread we're still going to eat. We're still going to find some level of satisfaction in it. There's still going to be some joy in our labors. And so he says, go to it. There will be a level of reward in our labors. But sometimes we're called to work we don't enjoy. Maybe we're in a job that we don't enjoy, one that's difficult for us. Maybe it's difficult, but it pays the bills. Sometimes there are chores around the house. We may not like taking out the trash. We may not like cleaning the toilet. But it has to be done, right? There's some work that just has to be done. But the reality is, is that all work honors God. And that's what we must understand as we're called into in the enjoyment of work is to realize it is honoring God. I'm pleasing God by my labors, by all the things that I'm doing, whether it's going to work or staying at home and cleaning it all honors God. And one of the things that is most important about that, especially in our culture today, is for us to teach our children and our grandchildren a right understanding of a biblical view of work. In other words, we begin to teach them skills early on. Lots of children graduate from high school, indeed graduate from college, and they never know how to balance a checkbook. They never know even how to do the basics of preparing a tax plan. They don't know the basics of changing a tire or fixing something around the house. One of the things that we need to do as parents and even as grandparents, as grandchildren come visit us, is teach our children about work and the enjoyment of it. What it means to labor and to realize that it's an act of love. It's an act of love to God as we are working in His world an act of love to other people as our labors benefit them. We can also help our children by finding out what they enjoy doing. 
What do they enjoy doing? Help them understand what their calling is in life. Help them understand what their skills and gifts are. Help them understand what they might delight in doing. Not only as a career, but even as a hobby. Even as things that they can do on the side. Friends, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work, you might say, to include our children in our labors. Sometimes it gets messy. doesn't work right. They make mistakes. But it's the very training ground that the Lord has put our children on so that one day they will grow up to be those kind of productive citizens of the kingdom of God. Not just of America, but of the kingdom of God to labor for the Lord. But as all this relates to the Sabbath, the main point here that I want to say is that we enjoy our labors, we work at our labors for six days, not seven. God said, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Some people get a paycheck for going to work. Others don't. Some people just do necessary labors. There's housework that needs to be done. People volunteer. They do yard work. There are people who are retired who participate in different organizations. There's all types of work that can be done. God says, whatever you do, whatever your labor is, do it in six days, not in seven. And so as far as the fourth commandment is concerned here, God has given us six days to get everything done that is necessary. And that leads us to the second thing here. Not only the enjoyment of work, but the freedom of rest. I first heard the Ten Commandments taught on when I was in college, and I remember hearing the fourth commandment, and all of a sudden the light bulb went on, and I thought, I am free one day of week. There's no schoolwork. I'm not studying. It doesn't matter if I have a test on Monday. It doesn't matter if there's a paper due Monday. I am not studying. I'm not going to, into a part-time job. I'm not going to do housework. It was glorious for me. All of a sudden I realized God has given me a vacation every single week. That's what he says here in verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, and so and so. God ceased from his work. That's what Sabbath means, to cease on the seventh day and he says now I want my people to cease to stop not just to slow down but to stop to put our labors down and to rest God blessed it he set it aside he said it's holy in other words it's unique it's set apart it's a day that's different than all other days it's not like Monday or Tuesday it's not even like Friday it is Sunday it's the glorious day of the resurrection. It's the day of worship. It's the day of rest. It is a gift from our Heavenly Father. And He says, you shall work six days, but on the seventh, you shall rest. He's inviting us into His rest. I remember working construction years ago, and the foreman worked very hard. And nobody took a break until the foreman took a break. When the foreman took a break, he would say, come on, let's take a break. And you might say that's a bit of what God does. God works hard and then all of a sudden He says, now come with me and take a break. The Lord's day is His day. And He says, come with me and enjoy my rest that I give to you. 
52 days out of the year, God gives us vacation. Isn't that wonderful? Moms, think about that. You get a day off every single week. May not feel that way, but you do. I read a story about a mother, wife, who she had four boys and one girl, lots of laundry to do. They had frequent house guests. I think her husband was in ministry. They had missionaries that would come stay. They lived next to a college campus and had college students in their homes all the time and, in fact, would stay with them. The laundry room was full all the time, stacked with sheets and socks and shirts and pants and all sorts of things. And one day this preacher preached on the fourth commandment and she went up to him afterwards and asked the question, but can I do laundry on Sunday? His response was, why would you want to do laundry on Sunday? You're free. You don't have to. God gives it to you as a day of rest. Guilt free. Do you hear that? Guilt free. Not just a day of rest, but a day of rest guilt-free. It's not like you're playing hooky from work, from laundry or ironing or anything else. God says, I want you to have this. I want you to enjoy this. It is a blessing for you. And if we remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, then I think we would overall feel less stressed, less overworked, less anxious, and less tired than we do as a culture. So that in, at the end of the day, we feel refreshed and restored. It means physical rest for us, right? You can get a nap if you want. You want to be able to say at the end of the day that I feel physically refreshed. That I'm not doing the chores that I normally do throughout the week. But you also want to be, you might say, psychologically or mentally rested as well. We worry, we fret, we're anxious about all the things that need to be done. Our financial worries, what's going to happen this coming week? What does my calendar look like? How am I going to get all these things done in the coming week? What God says is, look, you put that aside. You don't have to worry about that. This is a day for you to even turn off mentally from all the labors that you do in six days and simply rest what a good god the lord is really amazing that he gives us that vacation day every single week and the reality is we struggle to rest we struggle to make sunday a sabbath a ceasing we're sometimes like little children being forced to take a nap you know what that is right children don't want to take naps all the time it's nap time but i don't want to take a nap god says listen you need this and I'm giving it to you. Take it. We live in a fast-paced life. We're used to getting things done. We're used to checking off our list. We're used to going by a calendar. We're used to accomplishing much. And it is very difficult for us to all of a sudden, one day a week, shut down. Say, I'm no longer going to be in the rat race today. But that's the very thing that God is calling us to do. And there are a couple of reasons why the Sabbath is difficult for us. One, we simply do too much. Workaholism. We don't give ourselves a break. We want to get more done. We want to be in the game, so to speak. We buy into the myth that I'm going to get ahead at some point. We're busybodies, some of us. And to be a busybody is more of a mental thing than a physical thing. 
to be a busybody is this anxious feeling, this restlessness that I've got to be doing something. Maybe it's out of a performance mindset that my, my self-worth is tied to how busy I am, to how much stuff I can get done. God says we try to do too much. Second reason is we simply fail to get our work done in six days. Sometimes we procrastinate. We don't get things done. And on Monday through Saturday, and then all of a sudden, Sunday is catch-up day. Sunday is the day where I get ready for the coming week. Sunday is the day when I get all my things in order so that I'm ready to go on Monday morning. And so all of a sudden, especially at the end of the day, it feels like this mad scramble to get it all together. And yet that's not the way that God has designed it for us. Stopping's hard. We're called to stop. Now, the world is constantly spinning. Not only it's on its axis, but spinning in terms of getting more stuff done. People are paying bills on Sunday. People are doing chores on Sunday. People are going to work on Sunday. People are worried about their to-do lists on Sunday. People are having birthday parties for children on Sunday. They're going to sporting events on Sunday. They're having their kids involved in sporting leagues on Sunday and doing all these different things. We can't control the world. But what God does say is we are to lead those under our care in enjoying the Sabbath. Verse 10 says it this way. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. In other words, nobody under your charge, nobody under your care is to work. Not even your animals are to work. Everybody's to get a break. In other words, we're to lead our families into that kind of rest as well. Employers are to be responsible for those under their care to not cause them to work. Moms and dads are to be responsible to give the gift of the Sabbath to their children and to help them enjoy it. So what do we do? A couple things, three things. Let me mention this. Number one is simply planning. We plan for six days out of the week. We need to plan for that Sabbath rest too. We need to get all of our stuff done. We need to Talk about it as a family. One of the things I would encourage you to do if you have a family is to talk about the Sabbath and the fourth commandment with your family and say, now what should this look like for our family if we're actually going to remember it and keep it? Come up with clear goals. Because you could have a family that is all looking at the fourth commandment differently. I remember when we first got married, I was used to being in a family where you came home from church and there was this wonderful, large Sunday dinner prepared. Didn't take me long to figure out that was not restful for Sally. That's not what, what allowed her to enjoy Sunday in a leisurely fashion. Now, we eat well, but we had to get on the same page. And one of the things that families need to do is get on the same page and discuss the Sabbath. And what would it mean then for you to keep it? Second thing, not only planning, but also preparation. What needs to be done before Sunday? Homework. Those of you who are students, let me say this. If you want to enjoy the Sabbath, get your homework done so that it's not Sunday night, 8 o'clock, Mom, I've got a project tomorrow. 
to do. I, I need a poster board and I need all these other supplies. Prepare. Get ready. Because if you're ready, you're able to rest and even mentally rest in preparation for the week. Think about all the things that need to be done. Shopping, yard work, cleaning the kitchen the night before, laundry, all the things that need to be done. And then the third thing is this, commitment, commitment. If the idea of keeping the Sabbath as a gift from God, the way that he defines it in his word is new to you, then this will be a challenge to make a change. It will be a great challenge for you. And it may go something like this. You, you start out with good intentions. And then all of a sudden on Sunday afternoon you're tempted. You, you forgot something. It's got to be done. And before long you find yourself back in the pattern all over again. And then what do you do? Well, you, you do what every Christian is supposed to do. You repent and you receive forgiveness. And guess what? you got next Sunday to try it all over again. It's not a blown cause. But it does take commitment to say, I'm going to continually work on this. I'm going to continually work on this with my family because we want to embrace this commandment so that it would truly be a day of rest. So that we would learn to say no until it becomes our pattern and we enjoy it as the blessing that it is intended to be. Now, as soon as God commands us to rest, we start asking the question, what can I do? What can I do on Sunday? Right? One of the dangers that the Pharisees fell into was trying to constantly define, here are all the acceptable things, here are the non-acceptable things that you can do. In fact, let me, let me give you a few examples. The Jews would have said that a radish could be dipped in salt, but not for too long because it would begin the pickling process and that would be considered work. Parents are allowed to pick up their child, but not if the child is carrying anything because that would be lifting a burden. Maybe we could actually keep that one. That might be good. No, I'm just but what can I do? Can I watch TV? Can I wash my car? Can I answer emails? Can I go hiking? What can I do? Jesus gives us two broad principles. You find them in Matthew 12, verses 1 through 13. I won't read that. But the first is this, works of necessity. Works of necessity. Jesus said in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, when the disciples were going through the grain field, you remember how the Jews jumped out and caught them as they had plucked some grain to eat? Jesus says, basically, we're not working. We're providing for our well-being. It's a work of necessity. There are some things that have to be done in life. There are even some employments that are necessary. Police officer, people in the medical field, ministers, air traffic controllers, utility workers maybe. We live in a complex world now. This question is a very difficult question. What's, what work is really necessary? We live in a world where there's big power systems and our whole world is dependent upon the internet and there are complex hospital systems and various care facilities. There's restaurants, there's grocery stores because we don't live in an agrarian society anymore where if we need something, we just go out and pick it. It's a difficult question to answer. But God does say that works of necessity can be done. Secondly, works of mercy. Later on, on that same Sabbath day in Matthew chapter 12, 
Jesus heals a man. And the Jews are indignant over this. How could He do this on the Lord's day? Jesus says, if you have a sheep who falls into a pit, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave it there? Or are you going to rescue it? Sabbath is meant for works of mercy. Maybe visiting the lonely. Our deacons sometimes have people who come to church on a Sunday. People who are in need. It's a work of mercy to care for them. Every Christian has the freedom to work these things out. But the main point is this. At the end of the day, are you rested? That's what God wants from us. Now the last thing is this, and I promise I'll make it brief. It's the delight of worship. The Sabbath is a worship day. It, we're told in Exodus 20, the, is a Sabbath to the Lord. It is for Him. It is for the worship of God. Thomas Watson has this wonderful quote about the fourth commandment and worship. He says, it's the day in which the Christian walks with God and turns with Him in heaven. Isn't that glorious? It's a day that we walk with God. It's a day that we're in His presence. It's a day that we gather with His people to worship Him. Leviticus 23, later on in the uh, book of Leviticus, we're told six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, a holy assembly. It's the day that the people of God were to gather together and worship corporately. So the corporate worship of God is to be central to our observance of the Sabbath. Now I want you to listen to this. This is from Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. I would encourage you to go back and meditate upon this later today. He says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, meaning turn back your foot from all the things that you want to do, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. In other words, if we rightly observe the Sabbath, if we set it aside as a holy day, if we rest, if we truly give ourselves to worship, what he says is, what you'll find is that you delight in me. Because I've given it to you as a day of rest, as a great gift from heaven on high. It's a day that we delight in the Lord by focusing our thoughts upon Him. We stop worrying about our financial burdens and our calendars and our lists. We put aside our failures. We put aside our successes. We put aside worrying about whether our sport team wins or what's going on in our business. And our thoughts turn to Christ. Thoughts turn to His glory. We begin to rest in Him. We come to worship to celebrate God. He's given us rest. He's given us physical rest, but He's given rest to our souls through the cross. The Gospel is a Gospel of rest so that we put down our efforts to be righteous in ourselves and we simply rest in the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ that His payment for our sins is sufficient And all the anxiety within me, the guilty feelings that I have over my sin are put aside because I rest in Jesus. And I look forward to the glory that's to come. Ray Ortland, the preacher, has this great quote. He says, Jesus invites us harried, breathless, modern people to slow down and for one whole day do nothing but indulge ourselves in His goodness and truth. 
Sunday is a celebration. And if we're going to rightly observe it, we need to prepare for it like it's a great celebration. Families, I would encourage you, get your clothes out the night before. Prepare breakfast. Or at least think about what breakfast will be the night before. Make things simple. Orient your family towards worship the night before. Our bulletins are online. They're online before Sunday. You can go online and look and see what's going to be preached on next. Read the passage to your family. Think about it and meditate upon it before you even get to worship. Clear away all the negativity from your mind and focus on the gospel. In the morning, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Don't worry about all the peripheral things. Is the pink bow in her hair or is the red bow in her hair? Friends, we're going to meet with the Almighty God. And that's what's most important. You want to separate maybe children who conflict with each other during the service so it's more peaceful for mom and dad. Encourage our children to join in with us when they can. Let them turn to the page in the hymn book that we're going to be singing about. Help them to understand what we're doing in worship. Take a bulletin home and over the course of the week, go through our worship service with them. Help them understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And afterwards, when you come home, talk about it. Help them apply it throughout the week to think about all the things that have been said and what God wants for us and for our children. Friends, there remains a Sabbath rest yet to come. The book of Hebrews tells us this very clearly. Verses 9 and 10. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God for whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. What we do today is but a foreshadow, a small taste of the eternal rest and the eternal pleasures and the eternal joys that are yet to come. Our job is to take it up now as a foretaste to begin to experience the delight in God that we can have here in this life so that we step lightly into glory and taste His goodness forevermore. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Let's pray. Our Lord, there's so much more to say about the Sabbath and the glories that You've given to us in it. But most of all, we thank You that through Jesus Christ, He has purchased this blessing for us. We owe Him our lives. And you might say we even owe to Him the keeping of the Sabbath to rest on the Lord's day and to worship Him in glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.